0: I hope that we get a lot out of this topic, because when it comes to uh, finances, it, it is something very nerve-wracking, indeed. And the, the treacherous enemy of the heart, greed, says, I owe me. Anger says, you owe me. Greed says, I owe me. In Mark chapter 7... If I could uh, try to work this. Oh, there are some fine pictures there of some fine young men there. I'm not sure if I have that in there, but I think I have it. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, he went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Greedy people believe they deserve every good thing that comes their way. Their mantra is, what's mine is mine because I've earned it. And I've got a lot more coming to me. And consequently, it's hard to get a greedy person to part with their money and their stuff. Why? Because it's theirs. And they're scared. And every one of us, we have a story to tell. Either you were raised with very little, money and resources, or you've, you've had a lot and you've lost it all, and that's never going to happen again, right? Every one of us has a story to tell about money, but greed is a different breed than any other, uh, of the other three enemies of the heart that we'll be discussing in the next several weeks. Why? Because greed disguises itself. In fact, while you're hearing this sermon this morning, some of you will think to yourself, now here's one topic I don't struggle with. But you're going to have to see the invisible. I've never met a greedy person. What I mean is this. I've never met someone that goes up to me, hi, I'm Bill. I struggle with greed. <laughs> I've heard, uh, hi, I'm Bill. I struggle with my purity. I've heard that. Oh, I, I, yes, I struggle with anger. Oh, I struggle with alcohol. I've never heard someone say, hey, hey, nice watch. I struggle with greed. <laughs> never heard that. What I do hear is I, they say this. I'm careful with my money. I'm frugal. I use coupons. I wait for the sale. That's what we hear. The truth is they have made it impossible to identify greed in their own lives. Unlike anger or guilt, greed hides behind several virtues. Greedy people are savers, and saving is a good thing. Greedy people are often planners, and planning is a good thing. Greedy people want to make sure their financial future is secure. That's a good thing, right? Greed is easy to hide from ourselves, but the people around us No. Although greed is hard to spot, when we look in the mirror, it isn't difficult to those that we know. We can see it in someone else. We know when someone is tight-fisted. We can see it instantly when someone is stingy. Jesus could see it. In Matthew 23, he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Greedy people talk a lot about and worry about money. They are not cheerful givers. They're reluctant to share. They're poor losers. They quibble over insignificant amounts of money. They talk as if they just just have enough to get by. They often create a culture of secrecy around them. Greedy people are reluctant to express gratitude. And they are not content with what they have. And greedy people attempt to control people with their money. Greed knows no socioeconomic boundaries. There are greedy poor people and greedy rich people. Greed isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Is this an issue for you? Is it hard for you to give away your money? Are you quick to make excuses while you don't give? Do you ask questions to make you look like a careful steward when in fact you're looking for an excuse not to give? When you do give, Do you feel like the recipient owes you something in return? Are there strings attached to your giving? Be on your guard. Why? Because out of the four enemies of the heart, greed is the most subtle. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. For greedy people, stuff is life. Don't mess with their stuff. You know, I used to have this 1989 Toyota Tercel. It was an awesome car. It was turquoise blue, two doors. It was had tinted windows. Had my woofers in the back. Boom, boom, boom. My tweeters in the front. In the 80s, I was rolling hard, as they would say. And I loved. I'd wash it every weekend. Herself, her cell, Probably like 3,000 bucks, but it was my baby. I'd park it on the lawn just to keep it away from other cars. I'd park it on my dad's lawn just to keep it, protected from my other, my other brothers opening their car door and bumping my car. I'd make sure it was on the lawn. Away from evildoers, right? And one day, it was in the church parking lot. I saw an individual by my car. I was always just checking out my car. It is a Tercel. <laughs> thought to myself. Pretty sharp. And uh, a few hours later, I came back to get my car. I noticed a dent on my gas tank. Like someone had kneed my gas tank and dented it. I would, who would do such a thing to my car? And I was so angry. I immediately accused the guy who was standing in my car looking and going, What's the pretty-? I immediately went to his house and accused him. Well, I shouldn't say excuse. I threatened him (laughs) with bodily injury. His dad tried to help, and I threatened his father, too. I went to his eye. I threatened everybody. Because to me, that stuff was my life. I look back at it now, I was a greedy little man. As my daughter drew the picture, I was a greedy little brown man. (laughs) Greedy. Because I equated stuff with life yeah. to my stuff. You're messing with my stuff, you mess with my life. Is that your attitude this morning? But what's the driving force? Fear is the driving force behind greed. Fear fuels greed. Greed is supported by an endless amounts of what if? What if the market drops? What if this drops? What if this happens? What if, what if, what if, what if? And people with greed get lodged in their hearts of fear that God either can't or he won't take care of them. And they're afraid that God won't take care of them in the fashion or style in which they want to be cared for. God, I can't, you know, if you're going to take care of me, it has to be in this same house. I have to drive in my same cars. I got to have, We're afraid. And the gap between what they suspect God might be willing to do and what they want becomes a major source of anxiety. So they shoulder the burden to acquire and maintain everything they need to provide a sense of security they desire. Watch out. Be on your guard. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But don't the Proverbs encourage us to be prepared for eventualities in life, you know? Doesn't the Bible say to be prudent? Therein lies the challenge of identifying this particular enemy of the heart. The enemy camouflages itself. There he is. He camouflages himself. It hides behind a virtue. It hides, but it's there wide out in the open. It likes to hide. It likes to hide. It likes, that's a giraffe right there, likes to hide out in the open. Greedy people are often savers. Savings is a smart thing to do. They don't want their children to feel the financial burden of caring for them when they're (laughs) older. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Look at me in Luke chapter 12. There is a bigger barn syndrome that Jesus addresses. Look in Luke chapter 12. With me, please. This enemy likes to hide behind good things. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's my stuff right there. Don't mess with my stuff. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to be judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, Jesus starts his discourse with a warning. He knew back then what we're just discovering now that greed can take up residence in our heart and go undetected for years. The unguarded heart is highly susceptible to this debilitating disease. It's difficult to diagnose. It's especially difficult to self-diagnose. Jesus uncovers the lie that fuels all greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Verse 16. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. In an agricultural society, it is immediately obvious that the abundance of this man's blessings or or what he had had nothing to do with his hard work. Because farmers always are at the mercy of factors in which they have no control over. But the greedy man doesn't see it that way. The greedy person sees the world. What comes their way is because they've earned it. Even though this parable talks about a guy who didn't work for it, he's at the mercy of the weather. In fact, God, he doesn't consider the notion that God had anything to do with it. How about you? When you get a little extra, do you say, lucky me? I didn't know I was going to get that. Hmm, what should I do with this extra? I earned it, therefore I deserved it, therefore I store it. In verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store up all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Drink and be merry. You know, yesterday, the men of this church took the soccer field. Now, I played in college, but that was a long time ago. (laughs) I'm 40 years old, and uh, I'm very out of shape, in fact, I had a bone spur removed from my foot on Wednesday, and we were in the finals playing in San Diego, our arch enemy, they're brothers and sisters, but you know, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) they beat us last year in overtime in the finals, very heartbreaking, very bitter feeling it leaves you, because I'm greedy, of course, you know, we're, we're sore losers, we want the cup, that's my stuff, you know what I'm saying? So this last Saturday, uh, 12 minutes left in the game, we're up 3-0. So I turned to our little fans, there was maybe like four of them, because none of you guys came, but a few. So I took a water bottle and I said, the cup is coming back to Los Angeles, it was in San Diego for a whole year, so I just started, I started like, you know, the, the fake champagne water, started spraying the crowd, going, yeah, the cup's coming back to Los Angeles, This is amazing, celebrate with me. Right after I put the, the bottle down, I turned around and our goalkeeper got red carded. For hitting the, the red card means he has to leave the game because he hit the ball outside the box twice in one game with his hands. He got ejected. So I go, no problem, we're still up 3 our, 0. Our, we put our backup goalkeeper, the nephew of a of, uh, brother, put him in there, a little nervous, but put him in there anyway. He looked a little nervous, but you know, we weren't scared. In 10 minutes, they scored three goals. And one guy in the crowd goes, do you regret celebrating too early? And I was like, why do they mock me? And so I was, what's going on here, Lord? It's happening. First overtime of 10 minutes happens. They score the goal. They're celebrating. Now, mind you, one of our best players on our team is injured. And he couldn't play almost the entire game. And so he was like, I'm out. And I'm like, are you sure? He goes, I'm out. Said again, I'm out! I was like, I'm gonna get this guy angry, I better stop asking him if he's out. So in the second, the second o- overtime, he goes, I can give you 80%. 80%? That's better than what this guy's doing over here. <laughs> so I put a switch, put him in. And one minute left in the game, I, I, I was so tempted to go, it's over. It's over. It's over. What have I done? I was arrogant before the Lord. The Lord has took out his chunkla and just <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, God. I'm so, in my I'm so sorry for my arrogance. I'm so hum- humiliated and embarrassed what I've done. No longer than 30 seconds later, goalkeeper kicks it, brother traps it, passes it one time to our forward and scores the tying goal. We're going to penalty kicks. We thought, we are alive. And I said, humbled. If it's the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will. I quoted a scripture, I said, I, it, 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 do, do, not, do not feet bring good news? Don't they bear good news in the scripture somewhere? And someone says, yes, feet are the bearer of good news. I said, Because we're going to penalty kicks. And we went to penalty kicks. They scored, we scored, they, oh, we scored, and then our keeper blocked it. But the ref goes, no, 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 he moved. What? Retake it. What is going on? Kicks it again, our keeper stops it. No, 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 he moved. I'm like, this is not, I feel like David Hall." I got $2.13 to my name. So helpless. So the referee allows the stoppage. They didn't count it as a goal. And our fifth player to score is a 14-year-old kid. The pressure of the cup laid him in his 14-year-old hands. He asked me, can I go number five? I'm like, he's arrogant, but but he's confident. I'll do that. So I put him in. He's the fifth kicker, 14 years old. Turns around to our team, gives us a wink and a smile he was super nervous. <laughs> Turns around and scores the game winner. Wow. And we got to, we got to hoist the cup. Wow. There it is. You know, at three, 12 minutes left, I thought we had it. We had it because that was my stuff. And the Lord <laughs> taught me, that, that's not your stuff. It's my stuff. Yeah. I'll give it to the humble. That was the lesson I learned. Stuff that is mine, God says, I'll give to the humble who understand what to do with it. So here I was just very grateful. You couldn't see it, but I was shaking. (laughs) I was so nervous and so scared. God's hand is upon you in moments. In moments, he is upon you. The bigger barn syndrome is common to those whose hearts are damaged by greed. He explains why he has taken this course, this man in the parable. Remember, greed is always looking for something good to hide behind. To this man, he wanted to secure his future. He'll have all his needs met for many years to come. There's, what's wrong with that? With looking out for your future? If the story ended right there, this man would be a role model. But the story doesn't end there. True, he planned ahead, He just didn't plan far enough ahead. He was right. He did need to consider his future, as do we, but not in the way he thought. He assumed that his abundance of stuff assured him an abundance of time. But the two don't have anything to do with each other. Just after the man gets off the phone with his barn renovation expert, He receives shocking news. He'll die sometime in the night. He's about to learn the hard way that his life is not equivalent to the amount of his possessions. He'll run out of time before he runs out of stuff. As it turns out, the landowner is more dependent on God than he truly realized. For his entire reliance on God of his allotment of time is on God. And God asked the landowner a question in verse 20. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And the answer is obvious. Someone else. Someone else will end up with the stuff he hoarded. Someone else will end up with the stuff you've hoarded. As Solomon said, In this passage. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Someone else will end up with what he has earned. Not because he was generous, but because he's dead. To assume that everything that comes our way is for consumption is short-sighted and foolish. And Jesus closes the parable with a stern warning. In verse 21, look with me please. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This is Jesus' definition Of a greedy person, a person who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And the moral of the story is this those whose eagerness to store up material goods outpaces their willingness to give will suffer a complete and total loss when their time runs out. The landowner suffered a total reversal. Of fortune at his death. He lost everything in his life and had nothing to show for it in the next. Rich in this world, poor toward God. Why? Because everything that came his way was used for his private consumption. And the parable of the rich fool does two important things for us. One, it defines greed from God's perspective. Cuz our perspective is jaded at best. Yeah. Two, it offers a simple remedy. A habit that has the power to free us from our greedy little hearts. And greed starts from the sandbox at one year old. Mine. Mine, mine. mine mine mine. Right? Mine. Kid comes over, it's mine. Starts very early. It's lodged in there for years. And you, it grows up and it's undetected for years. My dad told me this one thing, this, this, uh, when I was a high schooler, he says, Geo. let me give you a warning about money. Don't trust anyone because money changes people. And I was like, come on, Dad, my friends are loyal. That year, two of my friends ripped me off. Dad was wise in one sense. Money does change people. It does change you. This morning I got to email my dad. Just how grateful I am for him. To start our, our conversations that we're going to be having when I see him face to face. Just about getting better connected with him emotionally. And I just really encouraged him this morning about the way he looked after us and tried to protect us. And the things he said now as a dad, I realize as a father, wow, you're right. I resented what you were saying back then as a kid. But now as an adult, I'm going, it was, it was wise. Dad was really... On his guard. He was really looking out for us. But there's a habit that has the power to free us from our greed-ridden hearts. Greed is conquered with generosity. Greed is conquered with generosity. First Timothy 6 says this. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever imagine to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Generous giving will break the gap of greed on your life. So, whether or not you think you have extra, give generously. You've got to give to the point that it forces you to change your lifestyle. If you're not willing to give to the point that it impacts your lifestyle, then according to Jesus, you're greedy. If you're consuming to the point where you have nothing left, you're greedy. I know that's strong, huh? It's actually very harsh, but it's true. It is very true. I mean, think of the RV you could have right now, right? That's what I think about. Can have an RV in two years if I didn't give. So we go tent camping. That's impact my lifestyle. Right? Kind of a lot. I could have tripled my 401k. Yeah, I could have. But it didn't impact my life. Maybe working till I'm a little older at Taco Bell or something. Having a little Bible talk there. If you're consuming to the point where you have nothing left, then yes, we feel compassionate. We feel like, man, how can this be? We, but it feels, I feel like I'm doing, and I'm helping, and I'm feeling, and I'm feeling. Yes, it's fair to say that, because greed is not a feeling. Greed is a refusal to act. It's not a feeling. It's a refusal to act. And sometimes, you say, well, I'm going to wait till God changes my heart. No, don't do that. That's a bad strategy. That's a terrible strategy. That's a self-deceived, lodged in your heart, the tiger behind the tree strategy. I'm going to wait till God changes my heart. Sounds super spiritual. Sounds amazingly awesome, right? (laughs) Giving is the way God chooses to change your heart. And your attitude will follow. Giving has to impact your lifestyle. Let me encourage you with two things. One, be a percentage giver. Giving away a percentage of everything you ever receive, right off the top as soon as you get it, supporting the kingdom work in whatever capacity. Two, be a spontaneous giver. When you see someone in need, give. Isn't that what we would expect God to do when we ask him? God, help me. Help me. Be a spontaneous giver. Right? Here's a need. I'll give it then go ahead and make the first move. These two habits will protect you from the bigger barn syndrome, right? The day will come, and it will come when you're going to receive an unexpected windfall, and your first thought is going to be, who can I help with this? In that moment, you'll know the habit of generous giving, where you've broken the power of greed, that's hiding in our hearts. It's a habit that can change everything. Thank you for your time and your attention. Have a great day with your dads. Thank you.